0: Way to go band. You may be seated this morning and thank you so much for uh, for being with us at church for the third message in uh, in our installment in this series that that we began kind of in love month February love sex and marriage Um, and today's uh, sermon series today's sermon uh, in real simple terms is uh, is about sex Uh, and I decided this week. Uh, or intentionally, we we were supposed to. Initially, this sermon was supposed to be about sex, and I decided this week I don't want to preach a, a sermon on sex. Uh, you say why? Why is that? Because it's a sermon on sex, um, and and I don't know how many of you would want to trade places with me this morning, uh, but this is a really interesting uh, place to be uh, on a stage preaching a sermon about sex. It's it's just a it's a highly delicate. Uh, awkward thing because I I did not grow up in a church that talked about it a lot even though I knew from a young age that uh, I had something deep within me um, That that was attracted to girls, you know, I, I knew that, that that the sex thing was planted in me uh, I just never really heard about it at church I remember the first time that I discovered that uh, the opposite sex was uh, was pretty cool uh, It was in fourth grade Uh, At skate land during couple skate. Any any of you ever have that that couple skate in elementary school? You know, they dim the lights and Lionel Richie comes on, you know, and they they tell you, at least in in my era, you know, it's like, say you, say me, let's get together and skate happily. Um, Something like that. And you know, so Lionel Richie comes on, right? And and you know, I, I I see this girl across the skating rink, and she sees me, and and there's just like this this laser beam pulling us together, um, you know. And we go grab hands and we skate. And from that moment forward, um, I wanted to have sex in my life. I mean, if I could just be honest, I knew something had changed that day, and I liked females. Um, I won't say that girl's name because we air all these messages on on our website. And she'll probably remember, and she remembers that event much differently, I'm sure, than I do. Because uh, I have a son now who's in fourth grade, and his hands are always dirty. And I can't, I can't imagine ever holding an elementary school boy's hand and thinking that's a good thing. For those of you who have sons, I mean, they're just kind of dirty, grubby little people. And I, I'm sure she thinks back to that, and that was the day she, you know, she considered becoming a nun and never um, being, being with a man. Uh, but from that moment forward, I knew there was something to this thing of, of male... And female coming together, but if I ever heard about it at church, it was in the negative It was in the you know, don't don't even think about it, you know Uh, Yes, god created sex, but don't even think about it uh, Until you're engaged and certainly, uh, you know, don't don't do it and then once you get engaged You can think about it, but don't even do it until you're married and then once you get married You you know, you can do it, but you better never talk about it And, and it was like this hidden taboo we don't ever talk about this. We don't ever think about this. Uh, only married people do it. And like Christian married people, um, you know, do it when no one knows. And they never talk about it. And they never admit that they do it. Even when they're sitting with their children who clearly came from one of those encounters, they never even talk about it. And, and to go from that experience to where we are now as a pastor leading a church, um, you know, I, I, I know that while it's been implied in my life, Uh, Growing up in extremely fundamental, uh, legalistic, denominationally-centered churches um, that that never talked about it, and if it did, it was negative. I know as a pastor, as much as I don't want to give a sermon on sex today, um, and I I actually two or three times this week thought about changing my mind, and I had to keep going back and say, okay, is God telling me not to do this? Is God's Word telling me not to do this? Uh, Or is this just my past experience making me feel uncomfortable? Uh, and every time I went back to God's Word, I see God's Word talking to us about sex within biblical marriage, sex within Christian marriage, and, and the great value it is to a husband and wife in Christian marriage. So today we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about it. We're, we're going to attempt to be totally decent, totally appropriate, totally mature most of the time. Uh, but we're, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about sex in a biblical context if you have your bibles we're in song of songs uh we're in we're in chapter five today that's where we'll start but keep this bible on your lap i'm going to read some verses today you're going it's going to blow your mind that these verses are even in the bible if you don't have a bible you're going to want a bible today our ushers are going down the, the aisles we pass out Bibles every Sunday for people who don't have one because we want you to open God's Word, have a copy of it. Uh, and you will want to use your pen and circle some verses today because these are some of the coolest verses in the Bible. You're going to say, whoa, I did not know that the Bible said that. But we're in Song of Songs. We're going to start in verse 5. Uh, just going over uh, where we are in our series. Um, this is kind of the, the theme verse of this series. Uh, and if you're looking for a Song of Songs like I am in your Bible, I'm trying to find a really little book. If you find Psalms in the Old Testament... You'll find Psalms, you'll find Proverbs, you'll find Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs is right after that little short book. Uh, and it's, it's uh, basically, it's a husband and wife. It's their romance story. It's a story of them falling in love. It's the story of extreme attraction to one another. And it's the story of them getting married and consummating their marriage and their sexual relationship. That's what the book, Song of Songs, is all about. You have a pen. Uh, you should have been handed a, a sermon note card so that you could take notes today. But the basis of our series has been Song of Songs 5, verse 16, and the way that Solomon's wife described him. This is how she described her new husband to her friend. Song of Solomon 5:16. verse um, she says, His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover, and this is my friend. This is my lover, and this is my friend. We defined at our church, Biblical marriage. We believe the Bible in Song of Songs 516 describes a biblical marriage relationship as two people who are best friends and passionate lovers. And I think the church has, has been silent on the second part of that. Uh, we talked in our church two weeks ago about becoming best friends, and I have heard from in the double digits numbers of couples who between then and now have taken like their first date in months, if not years, because we talked about regular dating, how a husband and wife have to continue dating and continue being romantic and continue getting away. So I, I believe in our church that that friendships are being created in our marriages and there's going to be way more dates to come, hopefully. But it's time to talk about the second part of that, that biblical marriage is characterized by being best friends and passionate Lovers, It's time to talk about sex within marriage. And, and here's what I think as I've studied. And listen, I'm 34. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have counseled dozens and dozens and dozens of couples in their marriages the last 13 years in ministry. Uh, I've read probably every book that's come out in, in, uh, in Christian society the last 10 years on marriage. Uh, and here's what I'm understanding about Christian marriages in particular. Uh, I believe sex is misunderstood in Christian marriage. And that creates a void that's not supposed to be there in relationships. Uh, I believe sex is underutilized in Christian marriage. And men, you don't have to say out loud, but I know you're thinking it. Uh, some of you, as, as I say that, I, I don't think Christians, a lot of Christian couples are, are having enough sex according to the Bible. Uh, I think sex is underappreciated in Christian marriage. Um, Ladies, I don't think you're, you know how much your husband depends on you and his self-esteem and his security and his confidence uh, rises and falls based on the level of your love life. And husbands, many of you don't understand the romance and love and tenderness that it takes to win your wife over uh, sexually. I think there's a, there's a void there. And we don't appreciate the aspects of, of sex in Christian marriage. And I think sex is undercommunicated in marriage. You say, what do, I, what do you mean by that? I, I, that means I think couples don't talk about it enough. Um, and they don't talk with, within their marriage, husband to wife, uh, what they're feeling about sex, what they think about sex, uh, what they'd like to do in sex, how many times they'd like to have sex. We're going to talk about all this in the message. But that's one of the things I find out the most is when, when you find a Christian couple that is frustrated sexually, they've never told anyone, certainly not their spouse. And we find out that there's a void in this passionate lover part of Christian marriage. So misunderstood, underutilized, underappreciated, undercommunicated. So I'm going to take that word under, in today's uh, Bible study basically outline is going to be called Under the Covers. And we're going to look today at this misunderstood, underutilized, underappreciated, undercommunicated area, and we're going to try to make some sense. I'm certainly not going to answer every question there is today on romance and sex and intimacy in marriage. Really, all that I'm going to do by the end of this message is hopefully Get this subject on, on the forefront of your communication burner in life. That, that's really it. Probably no decisions made during the service. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise your hand at the end of the message if you go home and have sex. I mean, we're not going to do anything like that. Um, today is just to bring it into awareness so we can have an understanding of what the Bible says about sex in biblical marriage. And let me say this. If you're single, this is going to be a great message for you because you're going to be so far ahead of the rest of us who never talked about this when we got married. Maybe you're single and you grew up in a home like me and this was kind of taboo, you just didn't even talk about it. You're going to be a decade into your marriage before you feel free to even talk to your wife or husband about sex and marriage, uh, maybe until you heard this message. Maybe, um, maybe you're engaged, and this is going to be tremendous marriage counseling for you and give you a lot of freedom in communication as as you get married in this area. But for married couples, if, this, if, if you're a married couple in here, if you're a young married couple... This is going to be a really good message for you. Now, here's what I need everyone to do. I need everyone to take a deep breath because y'all are making me really nervous the way you're looking at me during during this message. You know, our guests are, are looking at me. They're trying to, like, figure out if I'm a pervert for talking about this. You know, do I do this every week. Some of the women are looking at me like my mom used to look at me, like when we had a guest over. And she, you know, like, gave me that look, like, don't say anything stupid to embarrass our family. And and some of our men are looking at me like my dog when I get ready to give it a treat. I mean, they're doing everything but like wagging their tail. Like, come on, preach it, Christian. My pen is ready. Bring forth the word of God. Um, so we're going to we're try to hit it. I just need everyone to relax so I can relax. Y'all are, you're making me up tight. Take a drink of this water on stage. I don't even know whose it is. Um, under the covers, three things that uh, that I want to walk out with today. Number one. It's really important that Christian couples, that Christians in general, uh, have an understanding of sex and marriage. Because as I've talked to young couples, as I've studied, as I've read books, as i study scripture, I think there's a misunderstanding here of, uh, of what sex is and, and how each of us think about sex. And here's what's really important. Genesis 2.24, first verse in the Bible on marriage. Adam and Eve are just coming together. And here's what Genesis 2.24 says. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. I want you to write the words on your sermon notes. Will become. It doesn't say that they automatically are. It doesn't say that, that they get married and they are one flesh. It says they will become. If you read that in the Hebrew grammar, it's, it's a process. It's something that's supposed to happen. But it doesn't happen immediately. You know, when we do weddings, I'll do, a, I'll do a wedding this Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. I'm marrying a couple in our church. Uh, and, you know, every time I do a wedding, there's, you know, some kind of unity candle or they pour sand or they take communion. There's this symbolism of two becoming one. And while it's a great symbol, that doesn't happen at the altar. When you light the candle, you aren't instantly one. The Bible says you become one. The Hebrew word here is actually the, the words used of metals that are melted together. They become one. It's two elements that become a brand new element. You know, remember that uh, in in science, that chart of elements that that you had to memorize that none of us really did, unless you're a science teacher and all those words. And, you know, like there was H stood for uh, hydrogen, and then there was an O that stood for oxygen, but you could, like, put them together, and H2O, two parts hydrogen, and oxygen was what? It's water. It's a brand new thing. That's how marriage is. You have a a woman and you have a man and they're supposed to come together and create a whole new element. But a lot of times that doesn't happen. And one of the biggest things that God gave us for this to, to allow this to happen was sexual intimacy. The Bible talks about strongly the bond that is created when a couple has sex. That's why the Bible speaks so strongly of not having sex before you're married. Or not having sex after you once were married and maybe now you're divorced and you say, well, I've already lost my virginity so now I can just sleep around. The Bible says that bond is so serious that you shouldn't have sex before you're married. You shouldn't have sex with anyone but who you're married to. And it's not really a, a, a concept of right or wrong. You know, so many times people will say, well, what's right, what's wrong? Well, it, it's, the question is not what's right or wrong. The question is what does the Bible say? Not, it doesn't matter what I think is right or wrong. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that sex allows two people to become one when it's used inside of a biblical marriage. That's what the Bible says. That's what God says. So we need to understand that. But understanding sex in marriage, sex is what allows two people who are two to really become one. And it's interesting because the marriage equation is the only one that's mathematically incorrect. Because the Bible says one plus one equals... Math says one plus one equals what? Two. The Bible says one plus one equals... One. So this is not a couple. Because a couple is two. This now is, is, is a single. It's one. It's why when people get divorced, they feel like half of who they were. Because the equation has been changed and you're not even whole anymore. So one plus one equals one. And then when you get divorced, you're half and half. And it's why my divorced friends that I have, they really have to stay close to Jesus to, to not feel less than whole their entire life. Because the equation changed when they got marriage. And sexual intimacy is a huge part of melting together. Interesting thing, in 2006, the LA Times did an article, and they reported, they interviewed thousands of people, and they reported that boosting the frequency of sex in marriage from once a month to once a week brings as much happiness to a couple as an extra $50,000 of income a year. That's crazy. See, so what does that mean? It means if you feel broke, have sex, and you won't feel broke anymore, I guess. I don't even know what that means. But, but basically, you know, when you read the articles that the papers put out, when you read books, when you talk to counselors, when you talk to couples, here's what you find out if you, if you counsel couples like I do. Men and women both say we, we'd like to be having more sex, but we're not. Why? Because there's a misunderstanding. Um, if, if you're going to understand the place and the problems with sex and marriage, yeah, there's a few words that you need to understand. I'm going to talk to men first. Then I'm gonna talk to women, then we're gonna come back and talk to everyone. So let me talk to men first. And you need to write this word down. If you want to understand how your wife views sex, and it's pretty one on one, but you need to write the word romance down. Because romance is the key to your wife's intimacy. It's just how women are created. And if you study carefully the book of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, you see that Solomon wins his wife's heart, wins his wife's sexual intimacy through romance. Um, men, uh, you know, I've, I've, heard this phrase used at a family life marriage conference. Men sexually are like a microwave. You just push start and they are ready to go. Um, women are like a crock pot. Like you turn them on in the morning and then you don't even, you just don't even think about it till you get home for dinner. Cause it takes all day for a woman to begin to warm up sexually. And romance is a big part of this. Uh, look at how Solomon talks to his bride and in, in song of songs one. 10 and 11, you should, I hope your Bible is open to Song of Songs. We're going to kind of be all over it today and there's some wonderful verses. Song of Songs 1, verses 10 and 11. Look at how Solomon romances his wife. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. Look at verse uh, 115. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are like doves. Look at Song of Solomon two fourteen. Second half of uh, of verse 14. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. When's the last time you called your wife to, hello, what do you need? I just wanted to hear the sound of your voice. You know what that's doing? That is preheating the oven, friends. That's what that is doing. (laughs) When you tell you, I just wanted to, I mean, look at what Solomon is doing here. He's, He's a genius, right? Look at Song of Solomon 4, verses 1 through 7. Here's Solomon talking to his wife. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. These are pearly white. Each has its own twin. They're perfect. Not one of them is alone. When's the the last time you told your wife your teeth are perfect and your hair is beautiful and your eyes are like birds? That that one still I don't get totally. You know, but you can you can try it by the way I'm gonna get in trouble in this message because I don't do this stuff I mean, danielle right now is thinking you don't do any I mean, I know right now The crock pot is off because I don't do none of this in my marriage This morning as danielle was getting ready to leave the house, you know, she uh, I, I kind of walked in I come and do set up tear down with our team and then I go home and change And she's all ready to go when I get home and we kind of just pass and then we talk after church And she said, you know, when I walked in the house, I looked at her. Oh, man, she looks great today. I just, you know, the shirt she was wearing, the jeans, she just looked good. I thought that, but I didn't say it. So five minutes later, she was leaving. She said, hey, how do I look? I said, oh, you look great. I meant to tell you that. And she said, well, you need to tell me that because I can't hear your thoughts. You need to tell me that. I said, gosh, sorry. And she said, you need to preach that. You need to tell the men. They need to tell. So there you go. I just preached that just like you told me to. Verse 4. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields. So he's looking at her necklace, all of them shields with warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I'll go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. All beautiful, my darling. Look at what he says. There is no flaw in you. He looked at his wife and said, you're perfect. Man, you are perfect. Perfect. When's the last time you gave a compliment to your wife, men? said, you're perfect, and your teeth are so straight. I mean, you know, that that sounds weird to us, but that's a start, right? Solomon understands romance. So here's what what I want you to do. We're going to give a compliment to our wives right now. If you're sitting by your wife, I want you to turn to your wife right now, men. And listen, if you're single and sitting by a pretty girl who's also single, go ahead. This may work for you. (laughs) There's no reason you shouldn't do that this morning. Um, but listen, if you're sitting by your wife, I want you to turn to your wife and I want you to say these words. You look so pretty today. That is not loud enough. Listen, I'm talking out loud. You all need to talk out loud. Look at your wife and say, you look so pretty today. Now, now, now look at your wife and say, you look smoking hot today, baby. <laughs> I'm serious. Do it. Do it. Now. Let me ask you a question. Was her reaction different to your second? See, one of those things you say to your grandma, you look pretty today, grandma. I like your dress with the flowers on it, grandma. We talk to our wives like our grandmas. You look nice. Listen, wives don't look nice. Wives look hot. Solomon didn't say to his wife, you look nice. Man, you are perfect. You are hot. You see, when we compliment our wife, it builds romance into relationship. Wives love husbands who compliment them. Wives love when husbands compliment them uh, in public. Next time you're out with your friends, out with a group of friends, look at a husband and just say, man, let me tell you what my wife did. My wife is unbelievable. That, that will, like, build your wife up so fast. That's like turning the dial on the crockpot to high. When you begin to compliment your wife in public, it romantically begins to change her on, on the inside. By the way, the three words that you need to say the most in your marriage, the most repeated phrase that ever comes out of your mouth need to be the three words, I love you. Turn to your wife right now and tell her you love her. Listen, do it again, one more time. One more time. Okay, I just want to make sure I could hear. Listen, you need to say that so many times a day. There are some people in here that you don't tell your spouses you love each other. You need to do that. You need to communicate it. You need to communicate your love for your husband. You need to communicate your love for your wife. You need to tell your kids that you love them. Most people who don't do that, it's because they grew up in a home where that didn't happen. Listen, break that curse, man. Don't be your dad. Don't be your mom. Be your own man. Be, be your own woman. Bring love into your relationship. Love and romance. Look at what he sets up for. So he not only has romantic words, he has romantic deeds. Look at Song of Solomon uh, 116. This is crazy. This is her talking to her husband. She says, how handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. Our bed is verdant. Now, you and I read that and say, what, what, what does that mean? Uh, you know, our bed is posturpedic. You know, that doesn't make <laughs> much sense to me. Ver- verdant is, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm immature. Um, verdant is flowers. That's what it is. He had gone home and had done put roses all over their bed. And she came in and she said, Oh boy, you put flowers on the bed. Some of us don't even buy flowers on Valentine's Day. I say us because I did not buy my wife flowers on Valentine's Day. And I am so sorry. And I will put flowers on the bed one day of our life. I I mean, I wouldn't do that. Men don't think that way. You know what they think? Flowers get in the way. Flowers get like stuck on your back and stuff when you're sweating. (laughs) I want flowers sticking to me. It's called romance. Romance. Solomon put flowers on his wife's bed. You see, for, uh, for women, sex is just part of intimacy. Sex is, is the act, but not the setting. The setting is romance. Men don't, unfortunately, need much romance. It's just not the way we're wired. We're wired to wake up and see. Remember how Adam met his wife? He woke up and saw her. We're wired to turn on through our eyes. Our wives are are, are wired to turn on by how we love them, how we nurture them, how we provide for them. Uh, You know, men, it's why men, when men are involved in an act of intimacy, like they don't, they have no other thought of anything in the world. Because men, you know, Dr. Robert Lewis, who wrote Men's Fraternity, who I've studied, I've listened to him teach on marriage and sex, and men are like lasers. And like when men are involved in intimacy, they are laser focused. They notice nothing. Uh, except the act of intimacy an earthquake could happen while a husband and wife are involved intimately and, and a husband wouldn't even notice it and if he did he'd try to take credit for it But it wouldn't bother him <laughs> one bit. I mean he just you know laser laser focus Women are not laser la, women are more radar that re, women are more like radar than lasers um, You know, they they're like constantly scanning the world and, and everything that's going on. And even while they're involved intimately, everything just has to be just perfect. You know, the kids have to be asleep, like sound asleep or gone out of the house. The door has to be locked. The sheets have to be cleaned. They have to brush their teeth. They have to get a drink of water. They have to pay the bills. They, you, I mean, you know how it is. It's like, what are you doing? My goodness. Women are, are like a radar. And, and even when that's all done, you know, women are still, it's not like she's not into you guys, but they're just... Their moms, their wives, a lot of them work, and they're thinking of everything in the world. It's like, it's why right in the middle of an act of intimacy, your wife can stop and say, shh, was that the neighbor's cat that just meowed? And you're like, what? What? Did the kids wake up? Did you hear that? And it's like, no, I didn't hear nothing. I'm not even thinking about, I do not care about the neighbor's cat. I'll kill the neighbor's cat. You know, I mean, and it's like, what are you thinking? That's just the way women are wired. Laser versus radar so you need to think of it this way men You need to think of it this way write this down the radar needs romance the radar needs romance You have to love your wife all day long all week long all her life for her to even Get concerned about being intimate compliments flirtation words of praise a safe place Little boys to men, you know, and, and off we go, right? You know how that, how that, how that works. Um, understanding men is easier. Men don't need a setting. Um, you know, men are cool. You know, just press start. That's kind of how men are wired to work. But men, for the culture in the household to be healthy for a man, men need two things. And ladies, I need you to write these down. Uh, first and foremost, men need confidence. It's the key to a man's intimacy. Intimacy. They need confidence, ladies. I want you to say this. I, I want you to say this out loud. Men are insecure. See how loudly they spoke, men. I mean, they they are. Let's go. Say it again. Listen, they are. You know what your husband's thinking right now? No, I'm not. I'm not insecure. Men are insecure. Men need you. Remember Adam? Adam was in a perfect world. He had God. He had the garden. He had all the animals, and he was lonely. It wasn't complete. Men need confidence. If you look in the in Song of Solomon, I won't read all the verses about how Solomon's wife talks to him. She tells him how strong he is, how handsome he is, what a leader he is, how spiritual he is. Ladies, when's the last time you ever sat down with your husband and just said, I want to thank you for being the spiritual leader of our husband, of, of a spiritual leader of our family. And I just the way you parent our kids, you're such a good husband. Man, the date we went on last week, I, I just I thought about you all day long. Men need confidence. If men lack confidence, they will, they'll begin to unplug. If, if you look at men who have affairs, I have found more often than not, men who have affairs usually have affairs with women who aren't half the women that their wives are. That's just what I've noticed my experiences. Why? Because that other woman gave him confidence. She, she laughed at his stupid jokes. She, you know, was interested in what was going on in his life. She told him he was good at something. She built him up. And men are attracted to women who make them feel confident. Men need confidence, women, to be the man that you need them to be intimately. Men also need second word availability. It's a second key to a man's intimacy. And I want to talk you through this uh, a little bit. But, But men need availability. They need to know that their wife is there for them in life. Um, do any of you have have a, a dog with a with a, a electric fence like one of those imaginary fences or, or you know What i'm referring to in those right you get you get an imaginary fence is buried under the ground And you give your dog a collar that sends out a shock when it gets near that fence And if they try to try to cross the fence, I mean it shocks them real good So so they can learn in their mind, you know not to go near that fence Men are like that dog Sexually and let me explain to you what I mean if a man every time he advances Sexually towards his wife is told no. It's like a little shock, and eventually, with a dog who's learned where the fence is, you can take the dog's collar off, and he won't go anywhere near the fence because he's just trained in his mind that fence is going to hurt me. And this is how men work. When men are not confident sexually, when men think their wives are never available sexually every night, no, I'm tired. No, I have a headache. No, it's this. No, it says eventually they'll just not even ask you. They'll go. They'll go look for it someplace else. You say, is that wrong? No. Is it right? No. It's wrong. It's a sin. But it happens. and You need to understand that they they will never try to cross that boundary with you because their confidence gets so defeated and deflated every time they get shocked into no. You go back to your corner, and there may be good reasons why why you're saying no. But you need to talk through these reasons so your husband knows that that he's not just a bum who you have no desire for spiritually. There are times you're not available, but there are times where you are available. Man, I remember the first time that that I was ever really romantically turned on to Danielle. Uh, We were not married yet, so she was unavailable. But but I can remember it, boy, like it was yesterday. We had met um, at Liberty University, and she always had a lot of clothes on when we hung out at school, which I suppose is how most girls are, fully clothed at school. Uh, But we'd known each other for like, I don't know, eight or ten days, and she had become this really smart, educated, deeply spiritual girl. And, you know, I, you know, I thought you have, you have like really hot girls, and then you have spiritual girls. And usually those are not, in my experience, the same one. So I had just not even thought about classifying Danielle in the hot category. She was spiritual. I respected her. And when you respect a girl, you don't really look at her that way. Until we decided one Sunday afternoon to go swimming. We had a friend at, his, at, at, at our church He said, hey, you, why don't you guys come over and use the pool? after church. Like, cool, you know, that's cool, we'll go swimming. And you know, I, I kinda expected Danielle to come out, you know, dressed like an Amish girl or something. I mean, I had to I mean I just hadn't considered what she might look like in a bathing suit. And, you know, I got out to the pool first and I remember it like it's just I'm standing out there and I'm like bouncing on the edge of the of the of the diving board, you know, waiting for her to come out. And like she opens she, there's like a little pool house type deal, like down the road from the pool, there's like a little path. And she opens it in like a burst of wind. And like some it's like whew, You know, like little birds flying. And she steps out of this pool house and she's got on this bikini. And I was like, what? You know, (laughs) it's like dessert without calories. You know, it's like this is too good to be true. A a spiritual girl who's like smoking hot. And like she had her towel slung over her shoulders. And I think you're wearing high heels. I mean, as I remember it, I mean, she, (laughs) she, that's how I remember it. And like she comes walking up to the pool and I'm thinking, Oh, my gosh. Like, if I'd had a ring, I'd have proposed right then. And I only knew her like eight days. Like, she loves God and she looks like that. Well, I'll tell you what I was thinking. Turn your Bible to Song of Solomon, chapter 7. This is, this, is what I was, this is what I was thinking. I'm going to read it out of the Bible so I don't sound inappropriate. It's Bible words, not my words. Let me try to find it here. This is not on your sermon notes or on our PowerPoint. Um, hang on. You know, we'll just start in verse 1. Here's what I thought as Daniel came strutting up to me in high heels and a string <laughs> bikini. There's <laughs> something similar. Uh, how beautiful your sandal feet, O Prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hand. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks splendid wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are two fawns like twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon. By the gate of bath Rabin, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like a royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are. How pleasing, O oh love, with your delights! Your stature is like that of the palm. Your breasts are like clusters of fruit. And I said, I'm going to climb that palm tree and take hold of that fruit. <laughs> Woo! That's the Bible. That's not me. But that... That's the spiritual way to say what I was feeling on that diving board. It's like, dang. And you know what? She's like, not available. We're not married yet. Not available. Now, when we got married, like the the fruit stand opened and it was available. And I was like a lumberjack up and down the tree and up and down the tree. And because that's what happens when you get married before marriage, engaged couples unavailable. After marriage, you have to be available. Some couples in here are not available to each other. And you're very frustrated sexually. And you're talking to someone at your work that you're wondering if they're available. And you're talking to to someone you've met wondering if they're available. Or you're looking at someone on the internet who's screaming, I'm available. And and you're looking everywhere but to your spouse because you think your spouse is unavailable. You you can't be unavailable. if, If there is a reason that you are, you have to talk about that. You have to discuss that. And that's the second part of this message. Married couples, Christian marriages, have to have great communication. They have to communicate sex in marriage. Three specific areas. As I've counseled with people, as I've studied, as I've gone to conferences, as I've read books, every couple should communicate what I call the how, when, and where of sex in biblical marriage. Because this is where a lot of the issues are going to lie. Because here's, here's here's the truth. Once you have a job and have kids, I mean, kids are like the biggest sex killer ever, right? I mean, it's like sex buzzkill when kids are running around the house. Once you have a job and kids and a life and you're tired and you have bills, you're you're rarely in the mood. So you have to figure out when that time is going to come, the how, when, and the where. Uh, you say the house, or the the how. What is the how? And I, I I want you to listen closely. Every spouse in this room should know what their spouse desires in intimacy, and they should know what their spouse feels very uncomfortable with or violated by. That's one of the problems in young marriages today, especially in the world of pornography we live in today. We don't know what we like, what we don't like, and, and some, some couples are doing things that the wife absolutely hates. And the man doesn't even know it. Some couples are doing things that the man doesn't enjoy at all, and the man doesn't know it. You say, well, how are you going to know that? You have to talk about it. It's highly uncomfortable. Listen, Daniel and I have been married for 13 years and never did anything that I'm talking about until the last month. That's why this, this series has really impacted us. And we were like middle schoolers. I mean, these are uncomfortable conversations to have. It's like, hey, I was just thinking and, and um, you know, uh, yeah, how about I just send you an email? I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, these are hard conversations to have. But if, if you want to become a couple that, that sees themselves as passionate lovers, you, you have to know. You say how how do I know what my spouse likes or dislikes? You have to ask. How do you know how do I know what limits is is off is off limits uh, or is absolutely a, a no in my marriage? You have to ask, you have to tell. You you have to communicate sexually um, so that so that people know. You know, Danielle and I take walks all the time. We we love to go on walks at our house. We, we probably, today, if we have time, we'll go outside. And it's kind of how we communicate. It's how we talk. It's how we breathe. And we've got an unbelievable trail in the back of our community in Eagle Creek neighborhood where we just kind of walk along. And there are these two poodles, um, like eight houses up, that every time we walk by this house, these two poodles are, like, copulating in the backyard, like, right by the trail. I mean, like, every time we walk by, it's like, oh no, there they are again. And one day we walked by and one of them was just running from that. They were just running just like from each other. And like the little guy was following and the little girl was just running. And Daniel says after we witnessed this several times, oh, run away, little dog. I understand. <laughs> what? What the heck does that mean? You understand what? I, yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't understand that, that comment. What do you mean, run away, little dog? Do you want to run away? I mean, is this, what, what are we doing here? Most people never never communicate the how, the when, the where. You say, what is, what is the when? I need you to see a verse here in, in Song of Solomon. Um, busy couples have to schedule time to become passionate lovers, like in your calendar, believe it or not. Uh, look at Song of Psalms uh, 215. It's a really interesting verse, and so we need to write this down. Because some of you love your spouse deeply. You're just too busy to be intimate uh, uh, regularly. Solomon says to his wife, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. I want you to write the word little foxes down. You know what those little foxes are? Little foxes are things that get in the way of your sex life. You got to talk about those. Because life is busy. Life is busy. And you know what? Christian couples ought to be the most passionate lovers on planet Earth because we're living for God. We're doing it in the context of biblical marriage. We should love each other more deeply than even the rest of the world loves each other because we should understand each other in the, in the sight of God more clearly. But some are, we're just too busy. We're just too busy. So you you and your spouse need to communicate. That's why I said this message doesn't have a whole lot of... of information but it has a whole lot of you need to go do this and one of the things you need to do you need to have a conversation about when is a good time and when is a bad time you may find out men that the time that you enjoy being intimate is the time your wife can't stand it never even thinks about it and ladies you may you may feel like you want to be intimate at a time when your husband is you know extremely busy uh, mentally he's you know he's in another place so you need to talk about when, when are good times and bad times for us Um, believe it or not, the more I've studied this area in Christian marriage, the more counselors try to say that that Christian couples should always try to schedule their intimacy at least a day in advance. So that sounds crazy. I know it does until you look back on a week or two weeks or three weeks and say, we just didn't have time. How do you not have time to become one to melt together like God wants you to So you schedule? And you know what will happen the first few days you do that? Like that day, like if you say on Wednesday, hey, tomorrow after work. Man, you're going to be worthless Thursday at work because you're just going to be thinking the whole time. Man, when I get home from work, it's going to be so exciting. And what's going to happen? Instead of thinking about your coworker or thinking about pornography, you're you start thinking about your wife. That's the way it's supposed to be, all day long. So you schedule it in advance, and uh, and then spontaneous times, if you have those when those occur, those those are just bonuses. But you need to, to know the when, or you're not going to be able to say that in my marriage we're best friends. Passionate lovers, you're going to say we're best friends, but we're really busy. That's not what the Bible says a marriage should be. And and then the where, where are you going to be intimate with your spouse? Um, You know, find a location where your wife feels safe, protected, secure, because that's the most important thing for her. And and guys, you need to understand that, appreciate that, and respect that. Then there's one last question. That's not a how, when, where. If none of those work, you need you as a couple need to have this conversation. You need to ask this question. What's wrong? What's wrong? Because we live in a culture where people are broken sexually. They're broken in their ideals by pornography and in their trust by pornography. I told you last week, Danielle and I got r- married real young. We were still in college. When I was in college, I looked at pornography. When I got married in college, I continued to look at pornography. And Daniel found that and said, Christian, I mean, it so violated the trust between us. And that was almost 13 years ago. And this week, as we talk through this message she started crying again. She's still impacted negatively by that 13 years ago. Some of you men need to have that conversation, what's wrong? And maybe what's wrong is you really did something to violate your wife, and you need to give the greatest amount of grace possible for her to talk to you about it, cry to you about it, pray with you about it, go to a counselor with her. You need to, you need to figure out what's wrong. You know, statistics, just statistics, one in four women have been sexually abused at some point in their life. Those are just reported cases. One in six men have been sexually abused at some point in their life. Those are just the reported cases, so probably at least twice that many. And maybe some of us are just broken sexually and and because of something that happened way in our past, we're not able to be intimate with our spouses and we've never even told them, here's what's wrong with me. You've got to communicate what's wrong so that you can get to a place where you can become best friends and passionate lovers. If, if the how, when, where is not enough and there's a, a lack of avail- availability, there's probably a reason why, discuss that. What's wrong? What have I done wrong? What is someone to be honest with each other? You, you may be shocked by what comes into conversation, but you know what? By working through it together, you'll be so close as a couple. I promise you. Uh, and then finally, number three, and, and we'll be done with this. Um, there needs to be consistency in sex and marriage. You say, what do you mean? You need to be consistent in having sex as a couple. You say, says who? The Bible. Um, you say, where, where is that? Uh, the, the truth is a couple that has a consistent, great love life is, is going to be super fulfilled. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. This is one you should have circled in your Bible as a married couple. Uh, it'll be on the screen, though, too, so you can just jot it down if you don't want to turn there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, uh, Paul is talking about marriage. All of 1 Corinthians 7 is actually about marriage. Um, but here's what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 4 and 5. First, he starts out, some of you are going to read this and say, well, what does that mean? The first verse just means simply that, that you understand that you are to serve your spouse in marriage with intimacy. It's part of getting close to one another. Uh, but it says this, the wife's body does not belong to her husband, but to her husband, in the same way the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but to his wife. What does that mean? We be- when we get married, we belong to one another. And then he says this in verse 5, Don't deprive each other. He's talking about sexually. Don't deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Watch closely. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, consistency in sex and marriage does a lot of things to help you be close to each other, but it also does a lot of things to guard you spiritually And Paul said, listen, if you're going to have a season where you take time off, that's fine. But you all need to agree when that is, and it it needs to have an end date. And at that end date, you need to come together again because you were created. Listen, we were created to couple skate to Lionel Richie and to feel that bond. And if we don't feel it with our spouse, we will go search for it from someone else. You say, well, we shouldn't do that. You're right. We shouldn't. But we're sinful, and we do. So we might as well play by the rules that will help us live for God rather than test ourselves to see, how strong we are. Truth is, you know, I, I, don't, I don't care. I, that's probably not appropriate. It's not important when the last time you were intimate with your spouse was coming into today. But it is important when the next time is. And it, and it needs to be, after you've had some conversation about this, it, it, it needs to be sooner than later so that your marriage can begin to grow into what God wants it to grow into. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. You only think about unhealthy food. When you're on a diet, right? I mean, do you ever, when you're sitting and eating a cookie, think, you know, man, I wish I had a cookie. You don't even think. I mean, you're eating the cookie. The only time a Christian married couple thinks about sex all the time is when their sex life is unhealthy. And and when they've been depriving themselves from it. So if as a couple you come together in this area, you'll see radical transformation in your life, in your temptations, in your intimacy, in your love, for one another, and, and in your oneness. So here's three challenges for you this week. Here's the three things I want you to do at the end of this message. One, I want you to go home and, and have the how, when, where, and what's wrong conversation. Every married couple, I beg, if you never come back to this church, you can, I need you to go have that conversation this week. It will transform your marriage, I really believe that it will phil i don 't need you to play. This is not highly spiritual stuff. I mean, I guess it is, but not yet. Um, so I, I need you to somebody initiate it somebody take time to and this is probably something you do at home like you, like if you if you do this at a restaurant with a couple sitting behind you, that could be highly uncomfortable. Uh, so you know you probably don 't want your waitress every five minutes coming into the middle of this conversation. go get alone somewhere. And have the how, when, where, and what's wrong conversations. Be honest and open with each other. Be honest and open with each other. Two, and this is going to sound crazy, but um, listen, I'd rather have you get offended at at, at these next two challenges um, and never come back to our church than to not do them, to be honest with you. Because our church is filled with young couples who, according to averages, more than half won't make it. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. And I know this is a big part in getting healthy in your marriage, too. As a couple, this week, you need to agree on how many times weekly that you'll be intimate. And you need to try to, I'm not saying, like, set a goal. I'm just saying, just agree. Because what it'll do is it'll put your minds at it. It'll never make you wonder, well, you know, did I do something wrong? Did I not do something wrong? It'll never make you want. Just set a standard. Hey, this is how many times this year we're going to try to make love in a week. Because it, it, it will bring tremendous oneness to your marriage. Um, and then three. And I'll tell you why I'm, I'm giving you this. And some of you are going to think I'm crazy. You might. Uh, but here, here's my third challenge for you. I want you to try this week. Um, I want you to try this week to have sex three times with your spouse before next Sunday. And you say, why in the world would you give us a challenge like that? Um, because of this book that i've been reading which is one of the best-selling books in uh, in christianity today It's a book by ed young jr. Who's a pastor at fellowship church Los colinas just outside of dallas texas a big old church uh, His dad ed young senior is a church one of the uh, pastor one of the biggest churches in the world And he went through a deal with his church called sex experiment Where he challenged his church um, The couples in his church to have sex every day for a week you say, well, why aren't you challenging us to have sex every day for a week? Because I couldn't even get close. Danielle and I tried to do this this this, this uh, in the past time in our life. Um, and, like, we got, like, halfway through the week, and, I, you know, I was like, man, can we just, like, can we just watch TV? You know, like, I am, t- you know, it's, it's it's amazing how much you realize sex is not important. When you have a lot of it, it's only when you feel deprived that you get angry, bitter, upset, you begin to feel awkward from your spouse. So my goal for you is three. Say, well, why not two? Here's, here's why three. And all of that information, a lot of the information that I've preached last week comes from this. And you should go buy this book and take the challenge. Why not? Go, go ahead. Um, but here's the deal with three times. No one in this room can spontaneously, if you have children, have sex three times this week. It will force you to sit down, look at a schedule, and make sex a priority. That's the, only, that's the only reason I'm giving you this challenge. So you can say, wow, do we, even, like, do we have three times to talk to each other this week, much less make love? So I'm, I'm challenging you. Uh, and listen, if you're newly married, <laughs> you know, we know you're all doing this way, way more than this. That'll go away eventually, and then you can join the rest of us in, in real <laughs> married life. But for those of you who have been married for a while, that's believe it or not, that's my goal. You say, why do I want to do that? I want to give you seven benefits um, to... Having a great sex life in christian marriage you will not be able to write these down I'm going to go real quick because we're over time today. I will post these on our church facebook page Before I go to bed tonight so you can go grab those if, if you don't have facebook Um, just come next sunday and we'll, we'll figure out a way to, to get them to you. But biblically Um seven benefits of having a great sex life in christian marriage number one You'll fulfill god's purpose that he gave to adam and eve first and foremost um, two you'll reveal your true self to your spouse because you have to have the deep conversations. Some of you are going to find out things about your spouse this week when you have these conversations that will break your heart. And you'll want to go kill someone for what they did to your husband or wife when they were younger. That, that can happen. It probably will with a crowd this size. You just need to be prepared for that. But you'll know each other so much more intimately. Uh, third, you'll thwart sexual temptation. And if you're fascinated with your husband or wife, you'll never even be interested in anyone else. Uh, Fourth, you'll establish a family legacy of passion. Your kids will know that you love each other. And you'll be able to pass on good information about what the Bible has to say about sex and marriage. Uh, Number five, you bring your best to your marriage. And if you're always trying to win the favor of your spouse, you'll be a better spouse than if you just don't care. Number six, you'll concentrate more on your spouse and their needs. You'll really become selfless in your marriage. Um, And then seven you will cultivate a creative marriage You'll begin to think outside the box and have conversations you never imagined that you'd have And you'll become truly in love All over again with your spouse Uh, You remember remember the first time of attraction for you, you know, maybe your wife wasn't in stiletto hills in a Bikini walking to a swimming pool, but remember the first time you held hands With your spouse or the first time you kissed them. just the energy that coursed through your body you know, now we lay beside each other in bed and, you know, they rub up against us. And we're like, hey, get off, you know, get off, don't touch me, you know, stay on your side. What has happened? You know, we went from being electric intimately to annoyed by personal touch. Yeah, don't do that. You know, do you leave enough hot water in the shower? You know, we don't even care that, you know, we're, we're standing out, out there and there's just fruit everywhere. And all, we're, all we care about is the hot water in the shower. Is there enough hot water? This will help you. Have a great Christian marriage. Let me tell you where we're going next week. Um, Next week, we originally, Danielle and I, were going to do um, what we call a marriage-to-marriage interview. We're going to take questions and do that. But after today, there's no way I'd let her get on the stage and talk about uh, anything in our marriage because I'm afraid of her. No, just uh, in all seriousness, as I've been reading and studying and researching, I don't feel like we've covered all the ground that we need to cover yet as a church in this area. So next week, we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments of Christian Marriage. Uh, And I'm going to give you 10 things that as a couple, if you'll do, man, it'll establish the greatest marriage. It'll establish the marriage you thought you would have when you stood at the altar and you looked something like those folks, maybe tucked up and all dressed up and everything was good. And then life happened. And it's like, Ooh, marriage wasn't exactly what we thought it was going to be. I'm going to give you 10 things next week that'll just inspire you to live the fairy tale because Christians should live the fairy tale. We really, if anyone should, we should. Probably we'll talk very little about sex next week. So I can breathe easy. You can breathe easy. But these things, biblically, need to be read. They need to be studied. They need to be applied. So let me challenge you. Best friends, passionate lovers, that's the way it's supposed to be. I challenge you. Work towards that in your marriage. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to study your word in a highly delicate situation um, and in a highly delicate arena. Uh, but God, it's you weren't ashamed to, to put it in your Bible, uh, so why would we be ashamed as Christian brothers and sisters to, to talk about it? Uh, God, I pray that as a church today, we'll accept the challenges of working towards intimacy and passion. Uh, God, I pray that if, if I've said anything inappropriate uh, or less than respectful, which I may have, I pray that you'll forgive me. I certainly did not mean to do that. Uh, But Lord, I I know you wanted me to talk to our church about these things today. So thank you that we were able to work through this, talk through this. And Lord, I pray for all the couples that go and apply this, that you will allow them when uh, when they come back next Sunday or go to church, wherever they're going to go, that they will come back and they will be deeper in love, closer to each other, uh, closer to you, um, further away from sin next week than they were this week. Thank you for Jesus. And that he died on the cross to save us from our sins. And that Lord, the first transformation in our life, the first person we need to become one with is Jesus. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, we don't want to give us a, a, a end service before we give somebody the opportunity if they're not a Christian to become one with the God of the universe who loves you and gave his son for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in the room today and you came in and you're brand new or maybe you're just brand new to the whole church thing and you've not yet, Married to god he say what do you mean by that? You've not yet become one with him for eternity You've not yet Accepted the fact that jesus christ was real. He loved you He died for you so he could forgive your sins and he can change your life forever and fill every void that you have If you've not done that yet, you can do that today. You say, how do we do that just by saying a simple prayer? Uh, I, I'll pray it. You can pray it after me You don't even have to pray it out loud You can pray it from your heart you can pray it from your mind. God will hear it today If you want to become a christian Uh, Today, if you want to become one with Jesus and ask him to forgive your sin and change your life, pray this prayer. Dear God, I need you in my life, and I need the spiritual void in my life filled up. So today, I recognize that Jesus was a real man who came and lived for me. He died for me. He has the ability to forgive me. And he rose from, debt, rose from the dead and lives eternally and can help me do that as well. So by faith, I ask you, God, to come into my life, to forgive me, to change me, and to never leave me so that one day I can have eternal life with you. Thank you for loving me, for saving me. Now change me. Ted's bowed and eyes closed. If, uh, if you prayed that prayer today, Just a moment, I'm going to ask you to take your connection card along with everyone else and just check on the back of your card. Hey, today I prayed to become a Christian. We'll reach out to you and follow up. And let me pray for all the marriages here today. God, I pray for the men and women in this room who um, are having marriages that can be strengthened by this subject we talked about today. Pray for those marriages that are hurting. Pray for those marriages that are rocky. Pray for those marriages that are ending. Pray for our single folks and our engaged folks who one day are going to be looking at marriage. And God, may they be biblically equipped to live for you in this area because of what we studied today. We love you. Let's see things in your name. Bless our people and everyone said together, amen.